are you are um, chief cornerstone, Lord. We are so thankful that we're built upon the uh, the doctrine of the Word of God, and you're our foundation. So, Father, uh, you're the foundation that is laid that that no man can lay, and so we're so thankful for that. And uh, Lord, I pray God that the hope that we have would be able to propagate and prosper, uh, you know, at an individual level or just in our own lives. Lord, I pray today. Uh, no matter where people are in their life. I know in this room, uh, there's folks coming from all kinds of different perspectives and backgrounds, troubles, uh, trials, uh, victories. Um, Lord, some are on the top of the mountain, some are in the valley. But, Lord, I pray, God, that uh, we would really rest in you and trust you uh, to take our next right step and, and to see your, um, your glory uh, achieved in our life. Lord, we just thank you for loving us and giving us your son today. Thank you for giving us victory. Lord, thank you for making us more than conquerors. Thank you for uh, just the hope that you give us. We just praise you and we thank you. We ask, Lord, that you would um, meet with us today. Lord, I know obviously you're in us. Um, We know we have your word. We know all of these things. But, Lord, we really want you to uh, show up. Lord, you're here, I know. But, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would speak to us. And that's it's more about us than you. So, Father, I just pray that we would have our hearts prepared to receive what you have for us this morning. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, you may be seated. Thank you for coming this morning, and I'm looking forward to this next session. So I've asked Tony Godfrey to preach and teach or whatever he wants to do, dance, I don't care. But he's going to come up and exhort us. Okay, not dance. But anyway, he's going to exhort us in um, uh, this this concept of Philadelphian relationships. So if you've been here in partnerships uh, yesterday and even Sunday, uh, you know, it's, you know, after in, in uh, Luke chapter 10, Brian, I had never seen the connection that he pointed out until Sunday morning, um, you know, with the challenge of those disciples. And then Luke chapter 10, he's sending out the 70. Right. Uh, there was a there was a there was a decision that had to be made at an individual level who was going to be in or out. Right. And so uh, once that decision was made, though, there were 70. Now, we know it gets trimmed to, to 12 and then 3, and then John went to the cross and all of that. But then he extrapolates it back out after the resurrection. And the point I guess I'm trying to get to is that the mission can't be accomplished by just Jesus. Well, actually, it could be. But Jesus, he did the big work, right? He did the big lift. He took care of our sin. But he chooses to integrate us into the victory. I just was in my daily reading this morning in Joshua, you know, just thinking about how um, how God used Joshua and the children of Israel to just... Uh, destroy um, Amalek, but at the end of the day, the biggest part of the victory came from God, you know, casting stones down on these people and killing more people than Israel. Like, God doesn't need us, really, but he wants us to engage, and he wants us to be encouraged, and he wants us to see the victory. And I tell you guys, it only comes by following Jesus and, and partnerships. This mission is so big that you can't, you just can't do it alone. Several years ago, we got we got caught in a in a real battle in India, in a good sense, um, and I mean a real spiritual battle. Uh, and man, I couldn't lift that. Uh, our church couldn't lift that. And uh, everyone that you know, I don't. I mean, many. I don't know if everybody that we fe- fellowship with here were, was involved, but we had a lot of people come alongside from Midtown. I know Bo Green. Uh, we had several people come and lift up our arms as we were trying to minister in Arissa, and that fruit still remains. I mean, it's a partnership. 
and we try to return the favor and and uh, do that with other churches and other ministries. So it's a it takes a Philadelphian relationship to get the big work done. So I don't want to take anything that that uh, Tony's going to say, but I just know how important this topic is. So I've asked Tony Godfrey to come, share his heart, and give us the word this morning. Give him some love as he comes to to speak to us this morning. <clears throat> Up everybody, like everybody's this way. So I don't have to fuck. Is this on? Oh, it's on. <laughs> it's on like Donkey Kong. All right. So, Brian asked me to uh, to speak about this, and I think I told him, "Oh, I, immediately I already know kind of where I'm where I'm going to go." That was a lie. So God took me. I mean, I was in that moment. It was true, but it turned out to be a lie. Um, I'm going to ask if you would slowly make your way to Acts chapter 11. That's where we're going to launch off here in just a little bit. But um, I want to just kind of start off by just saying, man, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for partnerships. If it wasn't for the body of Christ, local local churches and other pastors investing in me, pouring into me and loving me at times when I was unlovable or not willing even to love others. Man, I am, I'm a walking testimony of the power of Philadelphian par- partnerships, for sure. Um, I want to expound on that maybe a little bit, a little bit more, but man, there, are, there have been seasons in my life where I'm just tempted to quit, walk away, and, uh, Guys like Mike Blake and Brian Hedges coming around and loving me through it, you know. I'm thankful, beyond thankful. So when I was being discipled, my pastor, as as faulted of a man as he was, man, one thing he was wise about is he took me to everything he was doing as much as possible. And he introduced me to as many people as possible. And he would just tell me and teach me, listen, you are going to need people in your life. You're going to need them. And, of course, that's going in in one ear and out the other a lot as a young 20-some-year-old man, you know. It's like I can do all things by myself, right? <laughs> that's kind of my mentality. I don't need anybody. And then, no, sure enough, no, you do. And um, I met Mike Blake years ago when he came to do a vision or a little conference we had in Iola. I met him, and, of course, he's got ties to Iola in different ways, and Brian's done some different things down there, what have you. But I kind of, I kind of came late to the party, you know. And so I, I met met Mike, and and uh, we kind of connected a little bit, kind of stayed in touch, but not a lot. And Man, I would not know Brian had it not been for Mike, and I wouldn't know Jay had it not been for Mike. You know, it, it just it just wouldn't be that way. And man, I've got I've got partnerships that go this way and partnerships that go this way, and sometimes they interweave and sometimes they don't. And that's okay. I think that's even the biblical model. What's I thought was interesting as I was praying about this and, and just trusting the Lord to, to give direction, I received a text message um, from a random phone number two days ago, three days ago. And I'm like, who is this? And you guys get spam calls, you know, spam texts, and I'm just I just don't even bother reading them. If I don't know, I just but this one, I'm like, oh, wait, they like said something. So I'm reading it. It's a pastor from 40 minutes down the road. 
who I know of. I've never met. I know of him. And he reached out, and I'll, I'll share more of his story here in a little bit, but he reached out and said, hey, can we, can we get together? I need to get outside of my echo chamber, and I just need to partner with somebody. I went, all right. Well, man, there's a whole lot more to that story. If I can get into it more, there's a whole lot more to it. And so um, next week, we're supposed to be getting together for lunch. And, um, man, I don't know what God's going to do there, but he's, he's in a town that I've been praying about. And just doing his thing, man, it just, it was just really, it was sweet for me. And then it was uh, convicting to me. And, uh, and it just, it just really solidified in my heart. Serving the Lord on an island is a dangerous thing, isn't it? Serving the Lord on an island is a dangerous thing. And I would even venture to take it a step further. I said it borderlines on unbiblical. It borderlines on unbiblical. Because everywhere you look in your Bible, there are partnerships from the Old Testament to the New Testament, especially in the local church context. And so before we get to Acts chapter 11, I kind of want to set the stage and I want to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in, in verse 1, it says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians which is in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so, man, I just, I just think this is interesting. This is a letter written, of course, from Paul to the Thessalonian church, but it mentions three names. Three names, Paul, Silvanus, which is Silas, and then you have Timotheus, we'll, we'll call him Tim or Timothy, right? So you have Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and they're writing to this church of the Thessalonians. Well, well okay, well, that's great. Man, it's great when you understand the context of everything that goes into this letter that's being written. Because what God is doing in Thessalonica has everything to do with what God did in three men. Right? That, I think that's really powerful. So here's a partnership that has an invested partnership with this church in Thessalonica. And so I want to kind of expound on this thing. Because if you think about Paul and, and Silas and Timothy, they come from three completely different backgrounds. Three completely different backgrounds. So Paul is was a Jewish leader from Tarsus, right? A Pharisee with the Pharisees. He he spent a majority of his um, pre-Christ years persecuting and lashing out at Christians. Check out what he says about himself in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, he says, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He's like, listen, I was a zealous for the Lord on the wrong team, right? I had partnerships on the wrong side. But he, man, he gets saved on road to Damascus. You can check that out in Acts chapter 9. He gets gloriously saved. Well, praise the Lord. He ends up back in Tarsus. So he's from Tarsus. He gets saved. Then he ends up back in Tarsus. But then you have this dude, Silas. Well, Silas comes from Jerusalem from a Bible-based background. Now, we know according to Acts chapter 16, check this out. Acts chapter 16, verse 37 it says, but Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Roman. So Paul and Silas are both Roman citizens, and they're both Jewish. They would have been Grecians or Hellenistic Jews. That's who they would have been. And so Silas is Jewish. He's a Roman citizen by birth, but he gets saved, and he becomes a leader of the church in Jerusalem in the midst of great persecution. 
So you've got Saul, who's one of those, Saul who becomes Paul, who's doing a lot of the great persecution. Silas gets saved. And now you have this church in Jerusalem kind of doing his thing. Well, then you have this cat named Tim, right? You have Timothy. Well, Timothy's from a small town, man. Small town um, Asia, right? Small town world. So he's he's from Lystra or Lystra, however you say it. So I say Lystra, you say Lystra. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's go with whatever it comes out of my mouth. Let's just roll with that. And what you know about Tim, all right, so he has a believing mom. He has a believing grandmother. And But his dad's, his dad's an unbeliever. His mom is a believer. And mom and grandma invest in him, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. What I call to remember is the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. And so, man, Tim grew up with a mom and grandmother who poured the word of God into him. He had... He grew up with the word of God, and he, he becomes a young leader within his local church. And so now you have, you have Paul kicking it in Tarsus. You have Silas in Jerusalem, and you have Timothy in, in Lystra. None of them really know each other yet. And yet God is going to bring a powerful partnership where a church gets planted. Numerous church, churches get planted. And so these three men, they develop a partnership with one specific mission. It's the Great Commission, but it's the Great Commission that is accomplished through church planting. That's what's going on here. All right, so, well, that's cool. All right, so let me give you the first point that I would just want us to be thinking about this morning is, is that Philadelphian partnerships are the natural result of local church ministry. It is a natural thing. It should. It is a natural result of local church ministry. Now, here's what's crazy. I just said that I've got a partnership with Jay, and I've got a partnership with with Brian. Well, the reason that happened is because of this funky-looking dude back here, right? Because, because of Mike. Well, now I've got a partnership with Bo, and, but Mike is the one that made all the connections. Well, you know who started the connection? A guy named Barnabas. I like to call him Barney. So Barney, Barnabas, connects. He, he begins this whole thing, this whole partnership. So Barnabas and Paul begin to have this this interaction. And I want to pick things up here in, in Acts chapter 11 because Barnabas gets sent out of the church in Jerusalem on a mission trip, okay? So in Acts chapter 11, Jews, uh, Jews are being dispersed because of the persecution of Stephen. You see this in, in verse 19. It says, and Stephen, uh, verse 19, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they came to Antioch, were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So man, you got people getting saved and word gets to Jerusalem and the Jerusalem church is like, what is going on here? we got to figure things out. So they send Barnabas on this trip. And so Barnabas goes, and he kind of figures out what's going on. And he goes, wait a second, I know a guy who met Christ some time ago. And he goes all the way back to Tarsus, and he finds a guy named Saul, or Paul. So verse 25, then departed Barnabas to, to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Why? Because Saul was a Hellenistic Jew. He was a Grecian. That's who he was. 
And Barnabas is like, wait a second, Grecians are getting saved. I know one that got saved some time ago. And so he runs and he goes and he goes to Tarsus and he brings him back. And verse 26, and says, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first. Where? At Antioch. And so now what do you have immediately? Now you have a partnership, Jerusalem to Antioch. There's a partnership between local churches that's carried out between individuals. Does this make sense? So now this partnership is beginning to develop. Barnabas goes and grabs grabs Saul, who becomes Paul. He becomes a, a teacher. All right, so skip forward to chapter 13. So some time passes. Chapter 13, Barnabas and Saul get sent out as church planning missionaries. You see this in chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. It says, now that we're at the church that was in Antioch, certain prophets and teachers of Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. And so here's Barnabas and Saul who are there in chapter 11 leading these guys. And now they're submitted to leadership of this local church, which I just think is pretty remarkable and now they get sent out as missionaries and so they're going out and they're planting churches and they're 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 reaching people right so let's fast forward go to chapter 15 chapter 15 so they do a missionary trip they come back they're hanging back in in antioch well now there's some issues because gentiles are getting saved and the church in Jerusalem is trying to figure things out and so they have a certainty conference right they have a doctrinal conference and so Paul and Barnabas travel from Antioch back to Jerusalem, and they have this conference. You read about this all in, in chapter 15. And so they come to this idea and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send them letters, send all these believers letters um, that, hey, we still got to reach Jews for Jesus. And so let's, let's stay away from blood. Let's stay away from idols, and let's just go preach Christ. But we got to walk in Jewry a little bit just to reach Jews. And so let's let's do that. And so they, Barnabas and and, and Saul take these letters from Jerusalem, and they're supposed to go back towards Antioch. So they begin to do that. But here's the, here's the thing. There's a young guy named Silas. Silas is in Jerusalem. And Silas says, man, I, I think I want to end this team. And, and so the church sends out a guy named Silas and sends out a guy named Judas and says, okay, I want you to go with them. Look at verse 22. Then it pleased, it, then pleased it the apostles and the elders with the whole church. Get this. It pleased the apostles, the elders, and the entire church. So now the church is recognizing, wait a second, God's moving here. God is doing something. And as the whole church catches the vision to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. So now Silas joins the team. There's a partnership. You see this? So it's still Jerusalem, and it's still Antioch. This, this partnership is, is going back and forth. Skip to chapter 15, verse 32. It says, And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And so Silas isn't just some dude. Silas knows his stuff. He's, 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 he's been raised up. He's trained up. He's, he's a prepared man. Verse 33. And after they had tarried their space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. And so, the church says, okay, man, you guys have done your job. We're now refreeing you. You've done your short-term mission trip. And once you go back, uh, you're, you're free to go back to Jerusalem. Well, Judas says, okay, I'm bouncing. And Silas says, I kind of like it here in Antioch, right? I, I kind of like it here. There's, there's something happening here. I think I want to stay. And so Silas, of course, he, he stays. 
And so he's hanging out there. Okay, well, you know the story. Because then Paul comes to Barnabas and says, hey, Barney, it's been a hot second since we've seen everybody. Let's go back and check on all the churches. Let's go check at every city that we preach the gospel. Let's go, a, let's go on a how are they doing trip. Right? So they've, they've been on a missions trip to, to preach Jesus. They've been on a doctrinal trip. And then now, now they're going on a follow-up, hey, how are you guys doing trip? Right? I think we can learn a lot from that in the different types of mission trips we should take as churches. All right, so they, they say, okay, let's, let's do this. And you guys know the story. Um, Barney wants to take John Mark with him. And Paul's like, no, he's a quitter. And uh, I don't want a quitter on the team. He's not coming. And Barney's like, he's my nephew. And I think he's done some maturing. I think he, he'll be all right. And, and Paul's like, no, I don't need quitters. I need somebody who's going to pay the price and who's going to do this. And so it says that the, the division of them is so sharp that they separate. And I want you to skip to verse verse uh 39, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And so Paul says, okay, Silas, you're coming with me. Barnabas, you're going that way. All right, side night, time out. I love later in his life, Second Timothy chapter 4, right around there, he says, hey, bring John Mark. And I, I love that. That partnership was severed and restored. Now, I, I love that. You know, I, there, there are times, I, I, hate to, I hate to see it, but there are times where partnerships in ministry go sour. But man, they can be restored. They can be restored. All right, back to our original programming. All right, so now we, now we come back, and so he's got Silas on the team. Well, they go off on this, okay, how the church is doing. Uh, on, the, on this little mission trip, and they get to chapter 16, and they show up in this town of Derby and Lystra and Iconium, that kind of that kind of region, right? That would be kind of similar to Adrian, Harrisonville, Belton, right? You kind of get this mentality uh, of that, right? So then he came to Derby and Lystra and Lystra, Lystra. That's where Listerine was made. I don't know if you knew that. Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, a certain, a certain woman, a son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported by the brethren that were in Lystra and Iconium. And would Paul have to go with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father um, was a Greek. And so, so Timothy joins the party. Timothy joins this this partnership. Now, here's something I think is interesting. Jerusalem, Antioch have their thing going. But you do you remember in chapter 13, Barnabas and Saul had gone on a mission trip. Now go back in your Bible to chapter 14. Go to chapter 14. Because this isn't the first time that Paul's been to Derby. This isn't the first time that he's been to Lystra, and this isn't the first time that he's been to the Iconium area. Because he came this way on his first mission trip. Timothy would have been a young man watching the apostle Paul get stoned, right? Not like puff, but like rocks, right? Taking massive rocks, throwing that at him to the point that he's supposed to have been dead. There's debate. Did he die? Did he not die? We're not getting into that today. Ask your pastor. Verse 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persu- were chapter 14, verse 19, 
who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up, came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. I call that gangster, man. That's a gangster move. Listen, I grew up playing the game Rock Toss. That's what we called it in my neighborhood. I, I grew up in a very rough neighborhood, and you better show yourself strong. And so the, the game was you stand in front of your house in the dirt road, the neighbor stands in the dirt road in front of your house, in front of their house. You have a pile of rocks. You stand there and you throw rocks at each other. This was fun, by the way. We threw rocks at each other and the game was, are you going to be a pansy and move or are you going to take the lump? That's, that was the game. And man, I got lots of rocks to the chest and a lot of rocks to the face because you did not want to be a pansy. You definitely didn't want to be a pansy in the neighborhood. You didn't want to have that name. The cops finally end up shutting that down. Says, listen, we're getting a lot of complaints. We're having fun. I don't care. Stop it. So the popo said, no more. So we had to stop. We had to stop doing that. But man, I would have gashes and be bleeding. Paul would have been just a mangled mess. And he gets up and he walks into town and still preaches Jesus. Imagine the impression that makes to a young Timothy. Imagine the impression that makes to him. And so when Paul shows back up in chapter 16, I don't know if he's got the scars and all that. I don't want to romanticize. I want to make it more than it is. But he would have known Timothy, and Timothy would have known him. So there was a natural relationship between Antioch and Lystra, isn't there? Silas is removed from that. It's just, Jer- it's just Jerusalem and Antioch, and then Antioch and Lystra have their own thing going. But it all comes together in chapter 16, where these three now come together. There's now a partnership of these three dudes who never knew each other, but God slowly works the situation and brings it together. All right, so that's exactly what God has done in my life. It's exactly what God's done in my life. I am here because God has taken people I have no idea who they were. And I love them. And I serve Jesus with them. And we may not talk all the time, but man, when we're together, I feel like no time has passed that we just pick it up right where we are. And I've got relationships with a church just down the road from me, 15 miles away. And you don't know that, Pastor, but I do. And we do things together. We spend time together. We pray together. We, our churches play softball together. We destroy them every single year. We do that all the time. And you're never going to know Pastor Calmetta. Because he's of a different, he's of a different group. And he's got his own little circles. And I've met some of those guys. Okay, well, that's awesome. Well, now i got this new pastor that who just reached out to me. Remember I just told you that? So he just reaches out to me. And here's this, there's, this is just crazy. Because this is a long time coming. And i just got to tell you this. I thought that was going to be counting down. So I have no idea what time I need to be done. What time do I need to be done? No, don't do that to me. Don't do the when you're done thing. Because everybody says that, but they don't mean it. They're lying through their teeth. I'll just push. What time? Ten. Oh, hot diggity dog. All right, so quickly. This dude, this pastor, comes from a very legalistic, very legalistic background. You know, must wear dresses, hair has to be long, you know, all that all that stuff. Well, his daughter shows up at our church because daughter's friends with my wife's cousin's wife. and 40-minute drive, leaves house wearing the dress, 
gets in the car, changes in the pants, and shows up at our church. I'm like, listen, we're glad that you're here, but you're in rebellion. You're, you're not here for Jesus. You're here because you go to church and you want to wear pants, right? But they did that for a while. Then the sister, like, caught on and said, where are you going? I'm going down to Iola. You know, sister catches on. Now sister shows up and all this. and just, So they're doing their little thing. And, and finally that fizzles out and what have you and, and trying to make inter- connections with this guy in this town where we have people from our town work in that town. And so there's natural relationship. My brother-in-law works there. He knows more people in this town than he knows in our own town. But he's commuting, does all this thing. All right, so praying all this. Okay, well now, um, Sam Miles was here yesterday morning, right? One of the people in his church is was uh, studying to be a doctor. Well, doctors have to do residencies. So this student, who I know really well at Midtown, ends up in this town. I'm trying to be careful that that town doesn't come out of my mouth, right? Boo. Anyway, comes to this town, and, and of course, she pulls up Bible-believing, disciple-making churches. Well, none. There's none. She pulled up Iola. Well, she's not driving 40 minutes, you know. I was upset when I found out she was only 40 minutes down the road. Anyway, she ends up finding the this pastor, who's a King James, believes the Bible, shows up there. And, uh, of course, it doesn't take them long to figure out, hey, yeah, I know that Iola Carew, and I know this and that. And uh, so she reaches out to me and says, hey, pray for this. Pray for this church. They're starting to realize um, they're dying, and they, they, they need to do something different. I said, well, I've been praying. I've been trying to reach out. And so she gave me their number. I'm like, I'm not just going to call this dude. He needs to call me. And um, just pray. Let's just pray. And so we prayed in July of last year. Let's just pray. So we just prayed in July of last year. Well, his wife reached out to me and said, hey, my son's moved off to Manhattan, Kansas. Can you do you know of a church there? I'm like, no, but we're trying to find a church church in Manhattan. Maybe we need to plant one there. And so we're trying to figure this out. Well, now husband reached out three days ago and says, I got to get out of my echo chambers. Can we have a powwow? Can we meet? Yes. Praise the Lord. We can. Are you guys ever going to meet him? Don't know. But that's a partnership I'm willing to check out and work. So the whole point I'm trying to make is, man, we have a little circles. I have partnerships close. Notice this. Go back to chapter six, chapter 16. Did you guys notice this? Um, verse 2. Chapter 16, verse 2. Which were well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and... Oh, so he's interacting with two different towns. He's got his own little network happening. He's got such an impact that he's got a, there's a partnership already happening locally there. And so now it's all coming, coming to fruition. All right, now, now let's move on. Here's the next point I want you to get then. Philadelphian partnerships naturally single out individuals from within local churches. Philadelphian partnerships naturally single out individuals from within local churches. So, as local churches begin to recognize, okay, there's a partnership happening here. This is starting to come together. Well, then they should single out ready and available believers right now to pursue that partnership. Notice, it wasn't the whole church of Jerusalem going to Antioch. It wasn't all of Antioch going to Jerusalem. It wasn't everybody going to Lystra and Iconium. It was individuals, wasn't it? And the partnerships that many of our churches have is done on an individual basis. I know many of your names. A lot of people in our church don't know many of your names. You know names of pastors, and but you go to if you were to go to my church, they, 
You wouldn't know them. And yet, we do this together. We still do it together, man. Now, I want you to know everybody. (laughs) And I want them to know you. And we bring people up for the Bible assembly. We do all those things because we want to be a part of it. I just had the lady ask me, hey, when is that? I said, I don't know. Because I want to get it on the calendar. I got to get it planned. I got to get it, got to get it down. I want to come. Oh, praise the Lord. Well, notice in chapter 15, Paul chooses Silas. Why? Because the local church leadership recommended him. Chapter 16, Paul chooses Timothy. Why? Because the local church leadership recommended him. And then notice this. Paul, or Silas and Timothy chose to go with Paul because Paul chose them. Submitted to leadership. It's done in the, it's done through the leadership of the local church and it's done as God raises up individuals. Now here's the sad thing. In fact, if you can flip over to Proverbs 27, hold your spot. We're going to come back to Acts, but flip over to Proverbs 27 because here's the fa- sad thing. Proverbs 27 verse 26, it says the lambs are for their clothing and the goats are the price of the field. Well, a lot of local churches, a lot of local churches miss out on potential partnerships. You know why? Because they're not willing to pay the price, man. They are not willing to pay the price. I mentioned this pastor 15 miles down the road from me. I've, I've been inviting to him to come here. I've invited him to go with me to the discipleship conference. I've invited him to go to different things, and it's not his, it's not his gig, and that's fine. Whatever. That, that's fine. You don't have to do things the way that I do them, and I don't have to do things the way that you do them. Let's just serve Jesus together. He's not too interested in pursuing that, and yet he's kind of got this mentality of, you know, we're just going to grow big and do our thing and just see how long we can make this last. Well, it's not going to last long. It's not. And I think this other pastor is starting to figure that out. All right, so in Proverbs chapter 27, which is the theme of this year and the theme of, of, this, of this conference, I want you to, to look at verse 23. Proverbs, Proverbs 27 and verse 23. It says, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks. Look well to thy herds. So quickly, I just want you to, to, to think. All right, well, good shepherds are going to study their flock and they're, because they want to take care of it and they want to provide for it. But here's what bad shepherds do. Bad shepherds study the flock to see how it's going to provide for them. And I'm, I'm telling you, There are a lot of pastors that way. They're studying the flock to see how it's going to provide for them instead of how they can provide for the flock. You better study your flock, right? Verse 24, because verse verse 24 says, for riches are not forever and doth the crown endure to every generation. All right, well, here's what good shepherds do. They're focused the flock to invest in generational disciples, but bad shepherds focus on maintaining generational wealth and generational influence. That's what, that's what bad shepherds do. How do we get more money in the bank? And how do we try to make this last for generations? And so you get pastors that do their thing, that raise up their son, and the son takes over. And the, the son raises up their son. And it's just the same little generation doing their thing. Okay, the crown doesn't endure forever and, and riches aren't, aren't forever. All right, verse 25. Verse 25, it says, The hay appeareth and the tender grass showeth itself and herbs of the mountain are gathered. All right, well, good shepherds, you know what they do? They make sure that their flock is relying on God's word to sustain them. And I, I mentioned this to somebody yesterday. I don't know who it was, but 
man, you have the three different types of food that should be presented within a church, right? You have the hay. That's Sunday morning, man. Sunday morning. That's that's the meal that the shepherd prepares for the flock. Hey, I'm pro- providing this for you. It doesn't taste very good. No, it should give you a desire for something more. Then that's the tender grass that showeth itself. That's when you open your Bible yourself. Oh, look what God's showing me. That's the tender grass. That's the sweet stuff, man. The hay you get on a Sunday morning, the buffet, the hay should prepare you and drive you. Man, I want something a little bit more. Where's the tender stuff? That's the new stuff. That's the stuff that showeth itself. That's for you and your quiet time. But then you have the herbs. Then you have these herbs. Well, what are they? Well, they're the flavor, aren't they? Herbs are flavor. Herbs is the, it's the, this is the hard stuff. This is the stuff that's, that's on, on the mountain. This is stuff that's gathered, not devoured. Right? These are the deep things of God. Only, only the, the flocks that are prepared can handle these herbs. This is the deep stuff. Alright, so, okay, that's what good shepherds are doing, but bad shepherds, you know what they're doing? They're, they're making sure that the flocks are relying on their words instead of the word of God. I want you to have to come to me. I, I don't want you to have to go to the Word of God. That's a dangerous, dangerous thing, isn't it? All right, so then you get to verse 27, or verse 26. The lambs are for their clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. All right, so this is what I don't want to build up to, because here's what good shepherds do. They lead their flocks to produce lambs and sacrifice goats. They produce lambs and sacrifice goats. Lambs are little children. John chapter 21. Lambs are new believers. What are goats? Well, goats are leaders. They're pastors. They're missionaries. All right. So what do lambs do? Well, the flocks that don't have lambs aren't going to be a flock for very long. Truth? See that in churches all the time. Flocks that don't have lambs aren't going to be a flock for very long. And lambs grow into sheep. And sheep produce more lambs. That's how this works. Lambs are for thy clothing. And I get the doctrinal implication. John or Genesis chapter 3. I believe it was a lamb that was slain and covered with the skins. I get all this. Jesus. He's your covering. I get the doctrinal application here. I get it. But lambs are for the clothing of the church. Man, we ought to have lambs running around all the place, everywhere. Physical and spiritual. Well, goats, I just, I just, man, they're the leaders. They're the pastors. They're, they're the missionaries. Well, healthy flock, get this, healthy flocks always outgrow their fields. And what happens when you outgrow your field? You consider buying another one. Consider the field and buy it. Well, what does the Bible say? The goats are the price, price of the field. The flock has to let go of the goat so they can grow. Isn't that, isn't that? Isn't that interesting? That was kind of Jay's testimony yesterday, wasn't it? Now, I, I got to go. Why? So the flock can grow. Now, there's hurt when that happens, isn't there? I mean, it's natural hurt when that happens. Because you lose, you lose a great leader. You lose a valuable asset, but there's also celebration. Why? Because now the flock has the ability to multiply and produce more lambs. The lambs are for their clothing. That's the game. Lambs go into sheep and they produce more lambs. Well, well then what do bad shepherds do? Well, bad shepherds, they lead their flock to sacrifice lambs and neglect goats. That's what they do. 
And so now the children's ministry, the lambs, becomes the bait to attract more sheep from other fields. And then they expect the sheep to grow the church through physical birth instead of spiritual birth. Not long before you come pretty inbred, man. And you die off. That, that's a bad, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. All right, go back to, go back to Acts, if you would. Land this thing. Here's the, here's the last major point I want you to get is that Philadelphian partnerships naturally support local churches. Philadelphian partnerships naturally support local churches. Now, chapter 16, they, Silas and Paul rolled into town. They pick up Timothy. Timothy gets circumcised. There's a dude who's willing to sacrifice, willing to pay the price to go reach Jews for Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? That's pretty bold. And so, man, he, he pays the price. He does this. And then what happens? Strategy happens. Strategy happens. Because Paul, he wants to go into, he wants to go into Phrygia and Galatia. Check this out. Verse 6, now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. All right, so as they partner, what are they doing? Well, they're wanting to support local churches. That's the whole game that they're on. They're supposed to be checking to see how they're doing. That's, that's the whole thing they're doing. But you have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as we strategize. Nothing wrong with strategy. You better need to be Spirit-led, though. Amen? It better be spirit-led. And so Paul pulls out a map. Have you have you read this passage in conjunction with a map? It makes total sense. He's like, hey, we're doing this. The next obvious step for us would be to go here. God says no. The next obvious slot it should be would be go here. God says no. Well, I guess we're going down here. God says yes. Oh, well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All that strategy just really meant follow, follow the Spirit of God. But let me throw this verse out there. First Peter chapter one, verse one. First Peter chapter one, verse one says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Hey, why wasn't he able to go there? God's got it covered with another man. Peter's got that. I need you to go over here, man. Peter's got that. Oh. Who's going to do that? Not you. How about that? Not you. Somebody else. And that's okay, isn't it? We've got to be okay with that. Now, chapter 16. Paul's probably a little frustrated trying to figure things out. Verse 9. And the, and, um, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. All right, so as we support local churches, yes, strategize, but follow the Spirit. But, man, we better be focused on going to people and not destinations. Brian is going to Ireland because there are Irish people there. He's not going to Ireland. He's going to the Irish people in Ireland. That's where they are. The Macedonian call is not to go to Macedonia. It's to get to Macedonians. I can't stress that enough. And so 
Here's what's awesome. I think this is just stinking awesome. Paul desperately wants to preach the gospel in Asia. So he gets the, he gets the call and, and verse 10 says, after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to, to go into Macedonia and surely the gathering of the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So there's definitely a natural leader in this partnership. There's somebody who's leading it. Everybody's in submission to this leadership and the, and they say, okay, this is what God's telling him to do. Then that's what God's telling me to do. And the, so they go and they show up to the river and they find women praying and they lead Lydia to Christ. Where's Lydia from? Asia. Hey, Paul, you want to reach Asians? Remember, we're talking about people, not destinations. You got to go to Macedonia. You got to go to Europe. You got to go to Europe to reach an Asian. So the very first person who gets saved in Europe is an Asian. I think that's pretty amazing. How about we just follow the spirit of the lead? And so Paul wants to go to Asia. He reaches reaches an Asian there. Of course, now a church gets planted. He gets thrown he gets thrown in prison. You get to chapter seventeen. Kind of gets kicked out of Philippi. They show up in Philippi. The church gets planted. Uh, they're meeting in Lydia's house. Chapter seventeen. They end up in the town called Thessalonica. I can never say that word. Thessalonica. That word. The Thessalonians. Yeah. That's a little easier. Verse 1 says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was the synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead, and, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and the chief women, not a few. People get saved. He's there holding Bible study for like three weeks, and the church gets planted. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Because Paul had a relationship with the church in Jerusalem. And Paul had a relationship with the churches in, in Derby and Lystra and, and Iconium because of those local churches that developed a partnership between Silas, Paul, and Timothy. They go on mission trip and they lead people to Christ and churches are planted and they're still supporting them now. And so what are they doing? They're, they're, they're taking every opportunity to, at the same time that they're confirming other churches and supporting churches that are already established, they're taking opportunity to birth local churches at the same time. And so all of this is happening, and then they continue the relationship. They continue the relationship. Go to chapter 16, verse 40. This is Luke writing, and he says, And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they they comforted them and departed. Here's the thing. If you go back over here, to chapter 16, verse 10, and after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored. So Luke joins the team here. Luke joins the team from, was it Troas or wherever they're at? So he, he goes, he goes, joins the team in Troas, goes to Philippi, sees this church planted, chapter 15, 16, verse 40, he says, they left and they left Luke there. So they continue the partnership by leaving somebody there to invest in them. Luke is left there. They go on to Thessalonica and plant a church there. Now, we don't have time to go there, but if you went to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, you would find that Paul sends Timothy back, back over there to disciple them and to make sure that they make it. So these are long-lasting relationships. These are long-lasting partnerships. They're not just birthing a church and then leaving them. They're, no, they're giving them, they're giving them leadership. And now let me just tell you, this is, this is how we know that the partnership is working well. Because it becomes the DNA of the church. 
Partnering with other churches becomes the DNA of the church. Listen, that's my heart. I know that's that's Brian's heart because I'm not always going to be the pastor of Harvest Baptist Church. Mike Blake is not always going to be the pastor of Maple City Baptist Church. Brian Hedges, I don't know if you guys need to know this, he's not always going to be the pastor of here. Did you guys know that? It's like biblical and stuff that we turn leadership over. And I guarantee the concern all of us would have is the next guy going to continue the partnerships that we've already developed. But what are you talking about? Well, check this out. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Look what Paul writes to the Philippian church. Now, you Philippians know also then the beginning of the gospel when it departed from Macedonia. No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. The Philippian church is brand spanking new, man. And they recognize, wait, there's new believers in the town this, just this way? We're going to support that. So you have a brand new church, and they are so sacrificial, and they're giving that Paul even uses them as an example in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 and chapter 9. This Philippian church said, no, we're going to partner from the jump, from the get-go. It's going to be the DNA of this church. We're going to support it. And the Philippian church is recognizing Scripture as supporting missions to their own detriment. I think I know another church that does that. To their own, to their own detriment, they support it. Because it's part of the DNA of the church. Now check this out. First Thessalonians chapter one, verses six through eight, and this is where we'll close. And he became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the, 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 the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples. I love that word. You have examples and you have in samples in scripture. In other words, they were, they were interacting, touching, right? I always loved going to the store when it was sample day at the grocery store. I loved that day. Because I was usually broke. And so you just do the laps, you know? See you in a couple hours. Hope you won't remember this ugly mug and I'll do it again. That was sample day. That's how I remember this. Examples that you read about it, you learn from it. Those are examples. And samples are tangible. And samples were interacting. And so here's this Thessalonian church. Notice this. And you became followers of us. In other words, you do things the way that we did them. This is the DNA. You do things the way that we do them. And it says, you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. In other words, they had influence and they're building partnerships that the Jerusalem church doesn't know and the Antioch church doesn't know. That's not a natural connection for there, but Thess- the Thessalonians are building their own connections. And he says, but also in every place your faith that God will spread abroad so that we not, need not to speak anything. Paul's like, I show up in the town to try to preach Jesus. You've already been there, man. You've already been there. That's a healthy church. Philadelphian partnerships are absolutely necessary. I am a testament. Thank you. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. So that was so good. So let's uh, stand and uh, get ready to recycle the coffee and the, the water and all that stuff. And uh, thank the Lord. I don't